Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. I'm Jane. I'm a compulsive overeater, gratefully recovering for 22 years in this program. My abstinence is no continuous eating. I used to be a grazer. I used to be uh, very heavy. My top weight was 217 when I was a junior, senior in high school. My bottom weight um, that I achieved in OA while doing a a pretty uh, restrictive food plan, but it was also very freeing for me at the time, was 10 years ago, around 146. Um, And that wasn't really working for me uh, physically that much. Somewhere in between now, um, God leads my life. I'm Buddhist, but I just use God because that's what the program uses, and I don't mind. Um, I really have a lot of gratitude. Oh, God, I'm going to cry. To the kitchen sink meeting because um, just to qualify, when I came in at age 28 and 52 now, I know I had always been a sensitive kid growing up, like super sensitive. I would take everything personally. Somebody would say something. I didn't even question if it's right or wrong. I would just take it as another rule I would have to be perfect about. And I never really asked my parent, hey, is this true? And um, from Taiwan, and we moved to the States when I was really young. And by five years old in Chicago, I had family friends asking me why I was fat. Now, I don't think any grown-up should ask a five-year-old kid why I'm fat, because do I really know what, you know, like, that's just not cool. But um, I internalize these things. Like, to this day, I'm, you know, part of my self-will is, why are you still so fat? Or why are you fat? Why were you fat? You know, like, um, and it's only through program that I've been able to change my attitudes and perception about myself and the world and what reality really is. Because to a kid, I pick up certain things. But I felt that there was no hope asking my parents or other grown-ups for help. So I just kind of held everything in. I probably enjoyed eating, and I still do. But most of the time when I was binging, it wasn't because I liked food. It was because I I saw no way out. I did not have any kind of solution to uh, now I know it's filling the spiritual hole, the emptiness. I'm like, I'm so fat. There's no use, you know, in life. Um, thank goodness I didn't kill myself. But the thing is, I'll just eat. Um, it may have provided some numbness or gave me some kind of willingness to go another day. And I really got through life with the perfectionistic thinking that my only problem was that I was too fat. Um, that kept me alive. And I'm really grateful. And I was able to do other things. And not look at my character defects. So I'm really going to spend some time on six and seven today. Um, by the time I got into program, I had been like up and down, up and down. And um, I got married. And I really thought that, you know, that was going to be it, you know. Marry what, you know, what else do I need to do in life, right? So, because my biggest fear was I was too fat for anybody to marry me. Um, but then I still had the disease. Oh, another compulsive overeating sign for me is I lost a bunch of weight before we got engaged. But between engagement and marriage, I gained a bunch of weight. Now, I really have a lot of gratitude to the person who made my dress in Toronto. 
because she let, you know, she had like the extra fabric going. So when I gained weight, it was just like, okay, just give me a day or two and you'll be fine. Right. Instead of like, I can't believe it now. I find you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I still felt the whole, I just never told anybody about the emotional, spiritual, mental kind of, I'm defective kind of all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of, you know, appeared to be easygoing and stuff. And meanwhile, my head is just so limited in the thinking. So when I read the big book and there's that line about um, our finite thinking and then God's infinite wisdom, it was a big relief because that was, you know, like when I start reading the big book, it's like it's telling my story. And, and the, the book was written by like a few white guys in the 30s or 40s or something. So it's like, wow, you know, I'm not the only one who has this brain. And when I go to the, when I went to my first meeting, it no longer is this was Palms Park Wednesday at noon writing meeting. So I got to write something. I heard people share. I probably didn't share. I waited a whole week, even though it was really close to my house, to go back. And I didn't check out the other meetings. But what happened was I started to feel comfortable because you guys shared my brain. We all came different shapes, sizes, eating plans, whatever. But the brain is the same. Our defective thinking is the same. And, you know, I may not have been able to admit back then that, well, my thinking is so way off. Because I still thought that was the only way to think. And throughout the past 22 years, I've heard at meetings so many different stories. And the solution really is the literature of our program, going to our higher power, working the steps. That makes following any food plan easier, makes staying abstinent easier, and makes life easier. Because my brain is not tormenting me every single moment of the day. Uh, my self-will is really strong, and I didn't know that. And I just thought, you know what, you know, when I lose the weight, it's going to be great. And that did not happen, because when I was um, at a lower weight for, like, the last, I don't know, 10 years um, before my divorce, all I was thinking was it wasn't enough. But for my body, that was enough. My body probably could be in the, like, the 150s or what low 160, and that's enough. But for me, it was like my husband's my now ex-husband still doesn't pay that much attention to me. What can I do with my body? Like, what can I do with my outside? There was nothing I could have done, you know? And I also found down the last 10 years that I'm like Bill, but I'm also a Lois too. So it's kind of like there's a lot going on in my brain. And no matter what, I have that kind of self-centered fear that I'm never going to get what I want or need. Um, nobody's going to like me. Um, I have no useful, I have no use in, on this earth. I mean, it's why I'm really frank is because by the time I got the kitchen sink, I had gone to Howe for 90 days because I had to uh, be on TV and I just couldn't stand the way I look. Um, and I started to do the steps in Howe and I trusted my sponsor, you know, Oh, this is OA House, so it's open to everybody. And then I did this fourth step with that sponsor. When I left How, though, because I just couldn't eat that way um, anymore, and then I'd done my TV thing. It was really small. It was my country. I came back, and I went to kitchen sink, and I had a fear of eating any foods. And many people at this meeting today were those who really helped me back then. And... um 
I have tons of gratitude because that's when I started to change my thinking. Like my self-worth is not tied to what I'm eating or not eating. You know, it's tied to my spiritual goals. Thank you. And um, what I do during the, you know, three meals a day, sometimes a snack, sometimes two snacks. I don't know when I was pregnant or whatever, I had to change. But the thing is, what I, what kind of life I live in between meals and after dinner's over is how I can grow my self-esteem. And I really follow, you know, the big book really outlines everything. And I'm um, just going to go through the steps of my experience with them. Step one was really easy. Um, step two, uh, you know, I used to pray at temples all the time. And I used to pray for weight loss. I've never prayed for relief from compulsive overeating or, you know, anything like that. That seemed to be too scary. Um, I need to have food as just the just in case kind of thing. Like, I really thought that with my thinking, with my perception, I would not have um, any kind of strength to face the world without food. So it didn't really matter if I liked it or not. And this goes from desserts to, like, if I have a meal at a restaurant, like, if you take away my veggies, I'm not going to like it either. Like, how, you know, like, if I have could only have three pieces of broccoli instead of five, I'd be really mad, too. So it'd be like um, nothing, no food was good enough for me. And no food would satisfy that hole, too. So, you know, it was just like this whole thing on and on. And I don't know if I'm one of the extreme thinkers in this program or not. I don't care because this is the solution for me. So I want to just talk about that. So I really had to change my definition. I usually um, ask sponsees to write a one ad for their higher power. Um, and I also have to understand that my lowest point was when I was in program in the beginning and I gained weight and I called my sponsor and no way how. Because that gave me um, the experience. Everybody's experience is different in our program and every everything is suggested. I had to really learn that I really, to me, it's not as much about what I eat as about how I can align my path with God's path for me. And I don't know what that is. I can't say, okay, I feel like I should do A, B, and C. God, make it happen for me. That's not what I pray, how I pray um, now. Because I've heard so many people share, it's, you know, God's will for me. I will not mind be done. It's not like, hey, I have this plan. God, make it happen for me. That's not, that's not what this program's about. So I really had to do that in step two. Step three, that was pretty easy, too, because once I got through step two and realized that I didn't have to give up Buddhism, I didn't, you know, I could just and use the strength of the group. Sometimes I would just have no faith, but then I would go to a meeting or talk to somebody. Now I text people. My faith is restored. So I can I know how to turn faith, uh, fear into faith just by connecting with one of you guys. And now with Zoom, I could go to meetings everywhere. Um, step four, I did the 170 questions and how first. And then a few years later, I did it with the big book with my then sponsor. Um, step five, I didn't really get the uh, catharsis that many people experienced after step five. I remember going to Serenity Sunday after I did my first fifth step. And I think I used the pay phone. I don't know why. It was like I had to call somebody. And I didn't really feel, looked around, I didn't really feel that great. However, I felt that I had a place where I belonged. 
And that was what keeps me coming back. A lot of times I still go to meetings, but I'm like, nobody likes me. Why am I here? Oh, I don't have any question. Why am I here? It's just like, why don't I feel more included? Or, you know, I have this like, do people not like me because I'm Asian? You know, just crazy thinking. I don't, I know it's not rational, but I don't care because this is the only place I have to go if I want to ease that thinking, that defective thinking that rules my, that rule my life and will continue to if I don't surrender to the, to this program. And if I know the solution by now, I choose to take it. And that's a miracle too, because in the morning I choose to take this program as God's will for me, instead of trying to find something that I can do for my self-will, because I know my self-will is not great. It's not good. It's, it's lethal. It could kill me. And a lot of times it does kill me. Even if I don't pick up the food, emotionally it's going there. And the only solution I have is in our literature. Um, six and seven. Six and seven was hard because I thought, as I mentioned before, like I really thought, okay, you know, I'm not bad anymore. That's great. And then I had to look into my character defects and especially what I got out of them, like the payoff. I spent a lot of time after kitchen sink going to plumber part with my then sponsor and I would just walk around looking really like sad and mad at myself for having any character defects. Um, but as I released them, I remember, and then I had to go after I'm um, reading him to her, I went outside of my house back in West LA and I just said the seven step prayer. And that's the one of my favorite prayers today. Um, eight and nine, I didn't have that much to put on for other people because I was so scared of making mistakes that I probably harm myself the most. And I just heard at a meeting the other day, forgiveness is a form of self-esteem. And I didn't have any self-esteem, so it's hard to forgive. And I would say stuff to my, you know, ex-husband or other people like, yeah, you know, I'll, I forgive you, but I'm not going to forget what you did. And then it's like, when I look back on that, it's just like, I'm just holding, I'm the queen of holding onto grudges. I don't know if everybody else, but you know, I'd be everything's fine. I would eat. I would hold a grudge because why would I give that up? And only now in program, after doing my nine step, it's like, wait, I'm harming myself by doing that. And I never really understood that. So, but that, that is still one of the biggest things I have to let go to my higher power for because you got five minutes. It's like, thank you. It's like, I know it hurts me. You know, I could eat over this. And yet I still want something to hold on to. So if I really, um, I, that's where I need to practice the steps program, go to meeting all the tools, practice the traditions, because I know that letting go, you know, it's like taking this third step with all the grudges is the solution for me. But I still need a lot of convincing. And if I don't hear you guys day in and day out talking about the miracles that have happened in your life, I may not, I, I may still take myself well back. And I know how dangerous that is. So every day I have to connect with program. And I used to call a fellow that I met in Kitchen Sink for years uh, just to read a few pages of the big book. And I, I, there's no reason why I shouldn't do that anymore. But for some reason, I stopped doing that. Um, but I connect in other ways. Basically, I need connection to the 12 steps and traditions of our program. I need to talk to other compulsive overeaters who have recovery and who continue to come back. And this meeting, I mean, it's just amazing. And step 10, yesterday, for some, last night, for some reason, I had a really hard time sleeping. I was waking up every hour. And I had this, you know, uh, 12 and 12 pocket edition. And I just flipped to a page. And I'm like, you know, God, help me go to sleep. And it, w- it was on step 10. 
and and I'm just going to read it. Um, oh, my goodness, I can't read this thing. Okay. So the last paragraph is, having so considered our day, not omitting to take due note of things well done, and having searched our hearts with neither fear nor favor, we can truly thank God for the blessings we have received and sleep in good conscience. You know, it's like the solution is all here. I just have to do it. And um, step 11, I pray all day long. You know, sometimes just like God help me, I will not mind be done or I do Buddhist prayers and stuff. What I learned in this program is I had to take a pause and meditate to hear what God has to say to me. Um, I used to never do that. Just like pray, 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 and then go. Um, and now I, you know, I really take time for the pause. And I learned that from all of you. Um, step 12, um, yeah, I have to give back. If I don't give back, I feel that I'm the only person in this world that has this disease. And I know I'm not. And so many of you have helped me. It's just my attitude, you know, I read, I used to read page 449 all the time. It's my attitude I have to change. It's my thinking. And sometimes I can't, I can't, or I'm unwilling to change. My, my thinking has to come last. The chapter into action in the big book saved my life because, like, I don't need to wait till my thinking's changed. It may never change. But I have action steps I can do. And, you know, and then traditions also save my life because that taught me how to um, have relationships with other people. Because I was always so afraid that I couldn't handle what you said to me. Because I grew up, like, holding on to, like, okay, if somebody makes fun of me for being fat or somebody says something negative about me, I have to just kind of, like, have a snouty face and, you know, kind of people please or whatever because I don't want to overreact. But inside, I'm just, like, about to explode. Um and that kind of holding on to something really requires a total surrender to my higher power. And, you know, in step three and step 12, I have to keep working with people because if I don't, my mind is just still there. And I wish I could tell you, you know, my thinking's not half as bad as it was when I first came in, but I don't know. I, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to give my own brain a chance because that's where my disease is to come back. Why would I? You know, I know the gifts of the program. I have two kids here in the program. All of you supported me through my divorce. I've had baby meetings in this program with other fellows. Um, when I first shared, a longtime member of our program who's no longer with us drove me from my house because I had a fear of driving. It was only from Brentwood to West Hollywood. But he came from, I think, Long Beach, and he drove me to the meeting and back. Um, my long-term sponsor who's moved to Palm Springs was at this meeting. So many of you helped me at this meeting, and I think, I hope, you know, that, and then, um, okay, I'm just going to um, end with this. Sh- Jane, you're you're muted. Okay, hold on. There we go. Wait, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to get myself back on the page, the video. Anyway, I have to keep going. So um, my first year of abstinence, I had to go back to my home country. That was the first time since I had been eating not how that I went back to my country, and I was so scared. I asked everybody in kitchen sink that was willing to write me a little note. And um, a lot of you guys who are here, I have those notes. And I'm so grateful because 
when I read them, I know where I was and I know where I am and I know how much I still need OA. And I hope, you know, I never leave because this program has given me a useful life one day at a time. And I don't know how much time I have left. So that's but, um Okay, great, because I have so much gratitude for this meeting in particular. So everybody keep coming back because, you know, I hope to see you and then, you know, as long as I live. Thank you so much for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. Um, Nancy, can you please call on people? Um, you got and it. You can then unmute and ask your question. Thank you. Okay. First up, we have Nancy B. Wow. In 44 years of meetings, that's one of the finest shares I've ever heard about recovery. Thank you so much for being God's channel this morning. Jane, I wondered if you might be able to tell us a little about when you get a consciousness of being up in the morning, how you begin your day to work the program. I hear that it's what you do in the morning that you can't play catch up. So are there certain things, calls you make, prayers you read, people you call, things that you do on a daily basis to ensure this recovery that you've obviously worked so hard to achieve? Um, when I first, my first uh, 18, wait, my first 18 to 20 years, um, I would call somebody in our program to read two pages of the big book. Um, I'm really grateful for that person. I, hopefully he's here and thank you so much. Um, and then right now, um, my dog wakes me up in the morning and dog is God and, you know, uh, backwards. So I, by, or one of the kids will pick and this was used to be, but now they're all teenagers. So they sleep really late. Um, so when I walk the dog, I can connect with my higher power because do I really want to walk the dog? Not really. So, um, that's already a connection with higher power, um, that I will not mind be done. And because God led me when he thought I was ready to the people program and because there's Zoom nowadays, I just go to any meeting that's available. And sometimes I have to go to like, let's say a few weeks ago it was nine o'clock. So it was too late for the regular meeting I go to in the other program. And there was no OA meeting at 9 o'clock. And I had yoga at 10 o'clock, and that's part of my self-care. So I went to the New York intergroup of OA, and I found a great meeting. So actually, Zoom makes it because one of the things um, I won't go to any distance for is driving because I don't do it that well. And I also have to think about the safety of other drivers. So when I say go to any length, I cannot do the physical distance of any length, but I can do it on Zoom. Um and I text a fellow that one of, you know, one of my, um, God squad people that I've known, the people that I, um, you know, it's really tough, but as a compulsive overeater in recovery, the first time I ate with other people in fellowship, like, you know, uh, after meetings or before, like a kitchen sink, we used to go up to the Abbey or anywhere. And then I had the courage to go out with a few girlfriends in program to dinner, um, stuff like that really helped me get comfortable talking to them. And the miracle is we've kept in touch for 22 years. So I can call any one of those people. They know my whole history. They actually know my ex-husband and everything like that and all the kids. And I can just text them. I can share anything. So there's nothing I have to hold in and rely on my 
self-will. Or, you know, oh, yeah, I'll surrender it later. I don't have to do that. I can go straight to God myself. So the three words, help me, God, has really gotten me um, a lot. I used to call all my sponsors in the morning. Um, now it's I try to call them morning. And, but, you know, it's the thing is by the time, um, because I've had the gift of recovery for so long, I don't wait to ask for help. There's no need to wait. Um, I know I can't do it myself. So text, email, phone call, walking the dog, doing something that gets me outside of my own brain is the best way I know to, you know, align myself with God's will for today. Thank you for the question, Nancy, and thank you for being here. Barbara? Could you tell us a little bit about how the way you deal with your family has changed in the time that you've over over the years that you've been in program? Um, So when I came in, I was so fearful. Oh, no, I didn't have any kids then when I came in. Um, And also I'm from a different country culturally, so I never really felt that. You know, my whole thing was I because I'm fat, I need to have the perfect thing to say no matter what language I am, no matter what country I'm in. And that's just not possible as a human being in my experience. So I would always feel like I was doing something wrong or I could have done something else. You know, I could have ordered something else at a restaurant. That's a big one for me, but I've been able to let go of that. Um, so by listening to people share at meetings and um, by talking to my sponsor, I could change my attitude so everything is, was not fear-based anymore. Um, I could, you know, talk to um, my then ex-husband about my needs. But at the same time, I was always very careful of not having to do a step nine later. So a lot of restraint of pen and tongue. Um, and then with my kids, I could just ask any member. Actually, you know, when my son was born, um, our families are all in other countries. So I asked a program member to take me shopping for baby clothes. Like any kind of help I want, I could get from this program. And a lot of people that have helped me are in this room. Um, I didn't know how to talk to people outside. So I started to practice the traditions and, you know, relate to people in the rooms. So, and hear about how they relate to their families. Um, and then I could really um, talk to my family in a way that I knew was more God's will than mine. Because I'm always coming from a defensive place. I'm like, it used to be like, you know, I'm so fat. Like, what else do you want from me? That kind of thinking. Like, you guys should do what I want without even me telling you to do what I want. That's a very flawed thinking. And yet I held on to that for dear life for so many years until it really didn't work anymore. So a lot of the character defects that I had, I had to realize they don't work for me anymore. And I'm, if I'm desperate for recovery, which I am, I'm going to be willing to let those go and ask another fellow, how should I talk to my son about this? How should I talk to my daughter? How do I talk to the gardener? You know, I'm the type of person that the gardener, before I came in the program, he wasn't really good. But I didn't have the courage to fire him. And then four years later, my neighbor who introduced me to said, oh, yeah, fired him four years ago. I'm like, you know, because that's the type of person I am. I'd rather eat and stuff my feelings than really tell you how I feel. 
So now um, things are better about that. And I know um, if I have a situation, I'm not sure how to say anything. I just call a program friend, call my sponsor, because they have a lot more insight um, than I do. And then also if I make mistakes, I don't have to make it my like I'm a mistake anymore. Okay, I made a mistake. I can make amends if I need to. I can let it go to God. And then I can go to bed, like, you know, without having that over me. Like, I can't believe I made a mistake. Oh, my God, I have so many years here. How could I have said something wrong? I don't have to go there anymore because even if I think that, I can call my sponsor. I can call a friend, text somebody to let that go. So really using the strength of the group um, all day long, especially during the pandemic, because I don't, I have to check my thinking with somebody else. Because that person usually is the um, channel to God. Because if I just, you know, my thinking is already very flawed, and I hope I uh, have contact through to everybody. <laughs> um, you know, I just automatically go to the solution faster now. I hope that answers some of your questions. Thank you for asking, Julie. Jane, thank you so much. The um, adults, when you were a kid, who would comment on your body, how did you work the steps around coming, you know, any resentments or coming to forgiveness? Um, that's a good one because um, I, when I think of that, when I talk about that, I still have a lot of tears and I cry because I blame myself. Um I blame myself for not having the response to give to those grown-ups when I was five-year-olds in Chicago. I mean, it's just what my brain can do. I mean, that you know, I'm 52 now, so that was a long time ago, and I still have that response, you know. Um, what I know now is I don't eat over it. Um, I can cry. I can still feel the pain. It's not like the pain may not go away. I just have a solution. I can sit with it instead of saying, oh, my God, I shouldn't feel this pain. It's been so long. I'm, like, over 50 now. Why am I still? You know, that kind of stuff, that kind of noise, the constant, like, whipping of my own thinking, that I can let go to God pretty easily nowadays. And if I still think about it, I know I just pick up the phone. I text somebody, call my sponsor. Um, what I've learned is um, when I have a problem, you know, I've heard at another meeting, like, I tell my problem how big my God is. But usually I don't believe that. So I have to go hear other people share at meetings and talk to other people one-on-one -on -one to know that uh, God is big enough. My God is big enough. I, I wrote the one ad for God. My God is big enough. So, um, and my God can hold my feelings because I used to feel that my feelings were too big. So no matter what size I was, my feelings were too big. And I couldn't really show them. So now, I mean, I cried pretty much all night last night um, for a lot of the people issues. And it was okay. But not once did I think of going to get something to eat. Um, but there's it's so much more, there's so much more time to feel when I'm not obsessed about my food. So I really have to um, surrender that to God and give. I know God gives me all the time I need to feel, no matter what kind of feelings they are. And I have to accept that um, and be willing to do that. Thank you. I hope that answers you. your question. Awesome. And then you've got five more minutes. Jessica? Thank you. Jessica? 
Hi, Jane. Thank you so much. I got so much out of what you shared. And uh, particularly when you said, I no longer base my self-esteem on what I am eating. And, uh, you know, so, much, so many of us come from obsessing about the food we're addicted to to obsessing about what we're not eating and the diet mentality. So can you talk a little bit more about how you shift from like the how program to what you said and uh, focusing on food, rather, uh, focusing on God rather than focusing on food? So um, post how, I'm very grateful because I walked into the kitchen sick meeting. And a lot of the people that are here today were there when I walked in. So uh, somebody volunteered to be my sponsor. I would call him every day to tell him what I ate or like I'm done eating or something, because basically adding more food to me was really scary, but I had to. Um, and slowly, and then going to eat with other people after a meeting, very eye-opening. Um, many, every, you know, we all have a variety of food plans. Um, and for my body and my ethnicity and my age, I'm eating differently than I used to eat. Uh, to no longer eat salads um, and stuff like that. I have to eat a little carbs. Um, there's so many ways to eat. So if I'm obsessed, when I my first two years, I would ask everybody, what is your food plan? What is your food plan? And I would try to follow the winners. And then I realized, wait, that food plan wasn't working for me, so why was I doing it? Because I felt like a failure. If I weren't doing the ones that the winners were doing, so I really don't like the winners and losers uh Whatever, and I, and I, I'm grateful because I don't really hear that anymore. Um, the thing with the food is, I always have to check with somebody else to feel safe eating. I really do. I, I just the, the food. It's like I want to eat in a way that protects my sanity and my serenity. So, how I eat three meals a day, I want to be able to go straight into the life in between meals. I don't want to have to say, "Oh my God, I can't believe." I ate that what? Or I, you know, didn't eat this. Or did I eat that? Should I have been dairy-free? Should I have been vegan? Should I have been, you know, it's just too much. And um, my brain is ready to find fault with everything I eat and everything I don't eat. And then how much I exercise. You know, it could go on and on. So the best way for me to deal with the food is to um, find a food plan that works for you, abstinence that works for you, let it go with a sponsor or somebody else, and then go live that life in between because that's what recovery, that's the promises of a recovery. Yeah, I hope that helps. <laughs> Thank you. Michelle? Hi, this is Michelle in Albuquerque. Jane, that was an awesome story. Thank you so much. It reminded me so much of, of kind of my story and – <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I just, it's nice to hear somebody so honest and open about their journey through the program. Um, my question to you is, and I've lived in Japan for five years, and I know what the culture is like and what it's like to try and attempt to have an, an OA fellowship in Tokyo, and it, it just doesn't, doesn't fly there. The 12 steps doesn't fly there, no matter how much they try. So I'm curious. As someone from Taiwan, how your culture affected your recovery, uh, not just through your family, but I mean, I, I, everything that you were taught via your family and via your culture, how did that affect you in your recovery? Uh, thank you for the question. I actually lived in Japan before and, um, 
the first few years of recovery, there was another fellow from Japan, and I forgot to say this in the secretary's announcement, but I do have a lot of Japanese literature for our program because somebody did take the time and effort to um, translate. And I know in Rokongi and Tokyo, there's some meetings. Some are English, but I think there may be a few in Japanese. Um, but I, my mind is like, oh, I'm so unique. I, I used to live in Japan and I speak Japanese, but I'm not Japanese, so that doesn't apply to me. How can my own people not understand me and all that kind of stuff? And then I met a few Chinese people in our program, maybe a few. But what I had to learn was I live in um, West LA now. That's our time. Thank you. So that's my answer. Like, I don't live there anymore. So I have to do what works for me to keep me alive today. Thank you for letting me share.